following podcast is sponsored by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Robots vs. Dinosaurs recommends Daryl Lee Australian Licorice for all your candy cravings. Robots vs. Dinosaurs is a proud member of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Check out Apocalypse Podcast Network for more great podcasts. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener. Zootopia, Jaws, Tammy and the T-Rex, The Last Starfighter, My Science Project, Cop and a Half, Kindergarten God, Stop, and My Mom Shoot, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Captain Planet, Fringe, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, Blade Runner, Multiplicity, Mobile Cop, Edge of Tomorrow, Universal Soldier, Scrooge, The Sixth Day, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Big Trouble in Little China, and... Jurassic Park. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. This week, I have two new co-hosts. I am talking to my good friends, uh, Vanilla Mortal Jake W. Turner and traumatized movie viewer, Alyssa Beatty. Say hello. Hi. 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 Jake and Alyssa, why don't you tell the audience what movie we are going to be talking about today? Wait, can I start by saying that when we were deciding what movie to watch, Jake asked me if I had ever seen this movie. And when I said I have never even heard of it, he literally went, (laughs) (laughs) The movie we watched was... The movie we watched was Theodore Rex. Starring Starring who? Can you say that again? Starring who? Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg. Listeners, if you are longtime fans of Robots vs. Dinosaurs, then you are probably just as excited as I am about today's episode because this is this is a historic event for Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast. This is our first movie that we're reviewing that stars Whoopi Goldberg. Now, we are going to cover the question, my, my big bonus question at the end about recasting with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito. I'm going to ask a slightly different version of it, but I don't want to say too much. So listen all the way through if you want to get our full coverage on that. But let me tell you, I I could not be more excited that we are covering (laughs) a Whoopi Goldberg dinosaur movie. I am a listener, so I already knew that question. So I've been thinking about it, but now now I'm thrown for a loop. So Jake, you did this to me on purpose is what you're saying. No, no, I didn't. No, no, no. The thing is, when you first announced this idea... This is the first movie that, that came to mind because I love bad movies. I have a love for bad movies. Okay. So, but when, there's just something about this movie, and we will just get it right out there. It is a bad movie, Theodore Rex. <laughs> it is an awful, terrible movie that has no redeeming qualities that I personally found, but I, I had great enjoyment watching how awful it is. Uh, now, Jake, I am going to disagree with you there because I know somebody who loves this movie, and it was me. <laughs> <laughs> You're a liar. No, You're a not. liar and a thief. I'm not a liar. If I'm lying to anybody, I'm lying to myself because I got to keep smiling. This movie changed me <laughs> as a person. <laughs> Listen, if we, I think, I think it was a thing where if, if we can get through Theodore Rex, mm. we can get through 2020. Man, that's that's a positive outlook. So uh, one. <laughs> One, one thing I do want to say about Theodore Rex, this is a movie, it's directed by <laughs> by favorite of the podcast, Jonathan R. Batool. So listeners may be familiar with his previous work 10 years prior to Theodore Rex on My Science Project. 
So that movie was also written and directed by the same man, Jonathan Arby Toole. And um, yeah, I guess it just, it, it took him 10 years from that movie to achieve what ended up being his, his final gift to Hollywood. <laughs> he retired after this film. Yeah. And Last Starfighter as well, which I, I yeah. Last Starfighter, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of. I, I've, it's got a special place in my heart for an old arcade junkie, you know? Alyssa, Jake, have, you, have either of you seen My Science Project? I have not. No. Okay. So that is uh, that is a movie that's covered on a previous episode of Robots vs. Dinosaurs, if you want to go back and, and take a listen to that. That actually was our very first hashtag watch-along episode. So when you download it, you can actually listen. There's one episode where you can watch the movie along with my, me and my friend Jason, my guest Jason, and then a separate episode where you just get our commentary if you want that. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so... Where, where do we start, Lou? Where do we start? I always like to start by looking at the opening shot of a movie. I think that the opening shot really tells you a lot about what, what story the director is trying to tell you. And especially when it's an auteur, which is the word that I use for when somebody is both the writer and the director of a masterpiece that they, they, <laughs> they birth into being and put out into the world for us to view and talk about today. The opening shot that we get is a title card um, yeah. that is narrated uh-huh. by a voiceover. And I'm going to read the whole thing because if you didn't watch this movie, if you didn't put yourself through it, <laughs> I'm gonna th- put you through part of it. So once upon a time in the future, <laughs> also the fact that, that why is it why is like it's it's like because it's got the like the, the big oh, like like it's a medieval text yes it's very yeah it's the fairy tale font right yeah it's an illuminated manuscript <laughs> that's a fantastic detail Alyssa, can you elaborate on that a little bit someone put a lot of time and energy into making this script look as good and <laughs> as spiritual as possible to no avail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listeners, I promise you, we are, we are, there are a lot of things in this movie that are very fun uh, and very, very, very lovable. And we're going to get to those. We're going to dig in deep. And we're going to talk about those. The biggest issue is that we couldn't really see a lot of them because this is another movie that uh, is is kind of notorious with the pantheon of robots versus dinosaurs movies. It doesn't have much of a digital trace. It's kind of hard to find a high quality, high res version of it to watch. Personally, I couldn't even find a version of it to rent. I, I watched the one that was uploaded on YouTube. I mean, I am looking forward to uh, trying to find this movie on video so I can I can actually watch like a high res version of it because I feel like yes. okay this is one nice thing about it the sets and the costumes and the way that the dinosaur moves all the dinosaurs the way they move and everything very very fun colorful practical sets and and I enjoyed I enjoyed them a lot I really wish I could have seen them sharper though yeah it, it was it was very cloudy very pixelated and, and I think like on Amazon you can get a DVD copy of it uh, I when will, I when I was like. Oh, when I was when I first looked it up, it was like, oh, great! There, there is an available copy on Voodoo. It is a lie. You can't find it. I even like added my email and stuff to see if maybe there was a back way that they were hiding it. But somebody buried this. I always try my best to pay for whatever movie I'm going to be watching on the, on the show, whether it's like paying for a subscription where it's streaming, or if I can't 
do that if it's not on anything. I try to rent it through iTunes. And this was one that I, I just could not find any other way. I, I'm gonna try my best not to hold the picture quality against the movie. And I, um, you know, maybe maybe we'll do a follow-up episode sometime, Jake and Alyssa. Maybe we'll watch it again when I buy a copy. We'll watch it all together and uh and do a follow-up for like an HD that's gonna review be, of it or a live yeah, that's gonna do a watch along. Uh, yeah, we can do a watch along and that'll be it'll be a BYOB episode. <laughs> I think it will be a B-Y-O-L-B. You're on lots of beer. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make another attempt to read this opening credits. Okay. I can't even... <laughs> okay. Once upon a time in the future, at midnight tomorrow, billionaire Elazar Kane will launch his new Eden missile to bring on another Ice Age. After mankind is extinct, Cain will reanimate the pairs of all Earth's animals he keeps frozen in his ark and create his vision of paradise. One hour ago, two workers escaped from the New Eden compound and are racing to tell the police about Cain's master plan. Do we, do we ever see these two workers that escaped from New Eden? Are they ever characters in the movie? I think that's, that's the dinosaur that dies in the beginning. But <sighs> he oh, worked for it. Wow, I, that blew over my head. I'm, I'm really glad I asked that question because yeah. that unraveled well, a lot think, about this movie. Yes, Alyssa, sorry. One of the problems with this movie is that surprisingly, it is very scant on exposition. <laughs> so you have a lot of questions about everything. <laughs> And some of them get answered and Mm -hmm. some of them just doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. um, Man, there's a, (laughs) there's a lot of, I have a a personal theory about Jonathan Arbitool because he writes and directs his movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like he has a lot of confidence in the actors that he's going to book for his movies because he gets, he gets some very good character actors. Uh, My science project famously has Fisher Stevens in it. And almost all of the end credits of that movie are just outtakes of Fisher Stevens just hamming it up, doing these bits and stuff that didn't make it into the film because they were irrelevant to anything. Yeah. But you can I, I get the sense watching those outtakes and just watching the movie itself that Jonathan Arbitule is the kind of director that it might be kind of fun to be on set with him because everything's sort of like, yeah, well, you know, we'll just... Um, we'll make up some dialogue here or we'll just, we'll just have you react to things that are happening on this set. I, I, I say that that sounds fun, but I can imagine that would also be incredibly frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have that balance, mm-hmm. you know, just the, the open, again, the opening of this movie is like you, clearly you can't understand what is going on by watching the movie. So they have to throw in the title card. And even with the title card, you did not pick up that the initial butterfly explosion on the face of a dinosaur, you still didn't get that that was the guy. That was the worker. Yeah, I did. Who was the other? Who was the second worker? There were two workers that escaped the compound. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I don't remember that part. (laughs) I don't remember. I just know that was was the connecting... I think. Can I share? Because I did take copious notes on this movie. My very first thought during that time. Mm-hmm. This is the movie best viewed on VHS. And again, yeah, I wish that I had at least seen the uh, VHS quality <laughs> version. Yeah. So after this narration, the actual opening shot of the movie. 
uh, after the illuminated manuscript is a reflection of the moon on a street puddle. And then we see character that I think is later revealed to be named Edge. I think this is Edge, right? This is yeah. uh, the, the doctor, what's his doctor's name? <laughs> like right-hand man, assassin guy. What is the doctor's yeah. name? Oh, God. Uh, Kane, uh, El- Elazar Kane. Dr. Elazar Kane, a.k.a. Dr. Armin uh, Mueller Stahl? Yeah, or I was going to say Dr. Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) So I believe, yeah, I believe this is Edge and he steps in this puddle and then, yeah, he's got this. Was it a robotic butterfly with a bomb attached to it or was it a cloned butterfly? I think it's it's one of the same robot things that's built by the toy maker we see much later in the film. Who, who is in one of my favorite films, Big Trouble in Little China. He plays one of oh. the, uh, the ninjas, which no robots or dinosaurs in that, so we, can, we cannot cover that on the show. But just for a point of detail here, the, the, the butterflies, they are, they are robots? They're robots. Can we call them robots? Sure. And there is another robot in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a surprise robot. It's a surprise <laughs> robot. <laughs> this movie's full of surprise robots. It's great. So <laughs> we see uh, a couple of other things in this opening shot. We see Edge running through what I described as like a, a haunted house uh, set with a lot of hanging tissue paper. They're doing that 90s movie <laughs> reduced frame rate with the grayscale. Yeah. And like the creepy music in the background. And then uh, it was a dream. But it wasn't a dream, was it? It was, was it? a premonition, I guess, because um, as, as we learn later from Molly Rex, dinosaurs feel for each other, right? They, dinosaurs have like this, this psychic link with each yeah, other. Yeah, sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can speak English perfectly. Sometimes. Uh, can we, do you want to keep under wraps who Molly Rex is or... Oh, no, I don't. I think we should blow that wide open. Well, I think we should wait until we get there because okay. it is a good reveal. It is. Yeah, it is a good reveal. And I have a lot to say about her when we get to that scene. So, yes, let's move forward from, oh, yeah, from there. Because um, when we see we, we see Theodore Rex waking up from what he he actually doesn't even at any point think that he's had a yeah. nightmare or anything. He knows that he had a premonition or like a bad a vision about something bad happening to another dinosaur. Yeah. He is fully aware of this phenomenon that dinosaurs are linked like like separated twins supposedly are and <laughs> and it's mangled but, it, but it's a it's a surprise to everybody that he describes it to have you noticed that in this movie whenever he's talking yeah. about it well also also it's never it's never established how long dinosaurs have been around it's not but there is a mention about there's we we know we know that the bad guy who is a secret bad guy, the doctor, he's a secret bad guy, except for the fact that we're told he's a bad guy by the opening textual. Yes. And what, what some of the people in this world know him for reanimating animals that have gone extinct, not yeah. just limited to dinosaurs. I wrote down at one point, Whoopi Goldberg's friend, Katie Coltrane's friend, says uh, elephants, lions, whales, now raccoons. What's happening to the world? So I guess it's, there was also a backstory to this movie where there were rampant elephants and, and whales and raccoons just causing problems all over the planet. 
when they were resurrected by Dr. Kane, people in this in this in this movie world are upset about that. Yeah, again, so many more questions than answers. <laughs> it's I, like a yeah, Jonathan I, Hickman comic book. You just you never know what's going on. I mean, one of my biggest questions though is like if if they if they resurrected dinosaurs and they're all just casually these like Zootopia reformed on the wa- on the wagon carnivores. Um, well, yeah, a lot of them were herbivores too, but is there also like a whale society? Like if, if we go into the ocean, is there a society of like humans coexisting with whales? Is there humans coexisting with elephant, uh, giant walking around things? And would we get a whale with a borscht belt Jewish comic accent? <laughs> yeah. Would we? Would we get a whale that wakes up in its apartment and, well, okay, a whale might make sense here because it when, <laughs> if it looks in the mirror... And says stubble as usual. When uh, when a T Rex does that, it doesn't make as much yeah. sense actually. As a make, no. Well, I I I have a prediction that literally they they just just took the voice George Newbern Theodore Rex and literally just shoved this guy into a booth and showed him footage of a poor poor person stuck in a large dinosaur fit. That's also something that viewers need to understand that the dinosaurs in this film are akin to the dinosaurs from the hit 90s sitcom Dinosaurs. Is that literally, um, they're literally the same because they move and look very, very I don't similar. Think, I don't, and this I don't was know around the same, the same time. I haven't done enough research, but it's got that same exact feel. And they are definitely people in costumes. Yeah, people in costumes. There's, there's no CG. No CG. But that, that apparently when it was originally sold to actors to be in it, they were told that the dinosaur was going to be computer generated. Goodness. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes, the, 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 these must be leftovers from the show because the show aired from 1991 to 1994 and this movie came yeah. out in 95. So they must be borrowed or they must have bought them from that set to use in this movie. I, I couldn't find anything about there being an actual connection in terms of no. like an artist or a producer or anything really. So it must be a situation. I'm just speculating, but but I'm assuming that they bought these dinosaurs from that set and just came up with a whole entire dinosaur world with them for this movie. Again, again I will I will give you that. That like the sets are they're they're very they're very Batman and Batman returns. They've got they kind of have that quality to them, the sets yeah. especially. Yeah, yeah. All of them look like they're out of a comic book or a Saturday morning cartoon. They're very, very bright primary colors and neon. Almost, and... almost like Power Rangery. Yes. Yeah, and, and that actually... <laughs> Before we, we go through like sort of the plot of the movie for a little bit, because I'm, I'm going to assume that a lot of people were jumping around a lot, and I feel like a lot of people are going uh, have not seen this movie because of how limited the availability is. So if you're listening to this episode and you feel like we're sort of a little bit scattered and all over the place, this movie is too. So... <laughs> So I apologize, but uh, but um, also this is the first real bad movie I've I've heard you well, do on the podcast. Again, Jake, I am I am going to defend it. I I I don't review bad movies. Okay, I review okay. movies that people love. All right. And I and right. at least one of the three of us loves this movie, or or 
the three of us have enough love that if we combine our love for it, it's an, it like equals the amount that one person loves it. I, I think that's, it's the second one. It's definitely the second one. <laughs> I love how bad this movie is. Who is this movie for? That's a big question. Okay. Who is this so movie made for? I saw this, I remember watching this as a child. I do believe that in my memory, it was one that I saw the box of it in the video store and was like, that one. I like Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg was a known quantity in, in the 90s. So I was a kid and like pro- probably, you know, eight, nine. It was like that one. That one looks cool. And it's got a dinosaur on it. So that that got me. So I remember I have vague memories of watching this movie as a kid. And also as a kid being like, mm, I made a poor choice. I'm not, I'm not sure that they knew who this movie was for because it is sort of a kid's movie. But at the same time, oddly, they are at times trying to delve into sort of societal questions and questions yes. of caste. Yes. Very badly, very badly trying to delve into these, but they are trying. So I'm not convinced that they were really clear who their audience was. Other yeah, they, than Whoopi Goldberg they, is an action star. They really are. There are a lot of moments in this movie where I kept saying the, the, the people that made Zootopia have got to have seen this movie, right? They must have. Um, I'm not saying they got any ideas from it necessarily, but it does have a lot of parallels that I think we're going to point out. One of the biggest ones being the- Teddy, Theodore Rex, the main character, is a self-described f- former carnivore or recovering carnivore. He says he's, he's on the wagon. It comes up a lot in the movie. And it's ki- it kind of, are you both familiar with Zootopia or am I just like sort yeah, of- I love Zootopia. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And also the other thing is, I feel like especially in the mid 90s, there was almost a whole entire genre of movies about cops that are like, it's baffling to try to figure out who the target audience was. So this is one example. Kindergarten Cop is another example. That movie in terms I, I, of tone is all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, my a mom is a cop. Cop and a half. Uh, What's my mom is a cop? That Burt Reynolds. No, that's Stop my mom will shoot. Stop or my mom will shoot with Sylvester that's Stallone. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's a cop and a half. The one with who's that? It's, it's I, that might be Burt Reynolds. It's it's like a it's a very like rough and tumble cop with like a little kid, and the little kid's yes. kind of like a Harriet the Spy, like Encyclopedia yes, Brown kind of like neighborhood detective kid. He, I, I think he like wants to be a cop or something. So he like keeps bugging this cop who's investigating something, and you know, yeah. oh, won't leave him alone. But he actually helps him. And it's one of those movies where I definitely was taken to the theater to see it. And, and if I, I, I don't know why, actually, my parents didn't take me to see this movie because I was a huge dino fan as a kid. I was into everything involving dinosaurs. So I don't know if it's just that they were like, now we're going to pass on this one or... Oh, no, this, this, I know you're, you're they're, they're, you ask something you didn't know, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just... This was never released in theaters. Yes, that's a good point. But it never it, ever passed before my eyes, even as a kid. Like, it never entered my kid's sphere of, like, it's just crazy that I didn't know about this movie until probably the podcast, How Did This Get Made, cover it, which yeah. I love I love so much. They, um, they did a really great episode covering this. But well, that's that one of the first first time audio issues that show has ever had. Mm-hmm. One of the episodes they did live with that, the audio got trashed. 
Oh, so. No. so, okay. You said that your, your parents brought you or uh, your parents, um, I'm sorry, they rented this movie for you. Yeah. Alyssa, Jake, do you have children? No. no. If, if you did, would you rent this movie for them? If they wanted to watch it, sure. If they had been very bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, don't put me in the whoopee room again. Don't put me in the whoopee room. Yeah, you're going to be in there. And if you're not good, you're going to have to watch the one where she's the manager of the Celtics. <laughs> so there's nothing really in the movie that's not kid appropriate, really. I, I, would, I would say. Yeah. Would you agree or disagree with that? I would agree. I say I say it runs like the Looney Tunes route. Okay. Where there's definitely like you know like you know the Howling Wolf as the as the lady dances. That's definitely evocative, but it's not pornographic. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, it's all of the like romance in it is very much like a kids Looney Tune Tex Avery kind of. Yeah. It's I mean it's almost literally the same gag of like the singer performing on stage and the people in the audience audibly talking about or just grunting or making like weird lustful sounds at her which i I don't know if gag is too generous for what that is i don't know what what else to call it though Uh, but it's also something we see in the mask which came out around the same year i think 94 95 the only reason i would say that this movie is not appropriate for children is that i just don't think it's appropriate for anyone (laughs) just (laughs) like anyone that likes movies or stories or it's it's not it's not for you (laughs) (laughs) so who who is it for who was it made for who was the target audience dinosaurs apparently (laughs) (laughs) that that's just it is i think i think this is a movie that got made somehow somehow this movie got made promises were kept and this movie got made and then when it came out there when it was finished they were like we have to that's just it this movie was never released in theaters, it is the most expensive direct-to-video movie ever made. That's right. Its budget was $35 million, and it was which, not released in theaters. Which includes Whoopi Goldberg's salary of $7 million, which was increased by $2 million after she, she said she wasn't going to do it, and was then sued for $20 million. Yeah, so, so. Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg, very, um, I, I guess it depends on which side of this you were on at the time, but either famously or notoriously, apparently had a verbal agreement to do this movie. Somebody had described it to her and she verbally agreed to do it. And then I guess her agent or somebody, Jonathan Arbitul or his people could not get in touch with her after that point. They, she just stopped answering phone calls. And yeah, she was gonna, she tried to back out of the movie. Uh, I guess she just kind of caught well, a whiff year, of what year, was cooking. The year prior, she just won an Oscar. Yeah, that too. So she was gonna back out and they offered her, I guess, I, I don't know, there's a lot, there's a really great article on Slash Film about this that goes into all of the details about how it happened. But either way, you can, you can visibly see Whoopi Goldberg's feelings about this movie and her performance in almost every scene. And that's one of the things I love about this film. It's, All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, exactly. I, I, I love somehow true honesty of Hollywood that is caught by the, it, it is, it grasped the 90s by the short and curlies. And it's like, this is what was happening. You know what I mean? Yes. That's, that's the good thing about it. You, you said- notice that none yeah, of yes. us 
are, uh, are moving on with describing the plot almost as if none of us want to relive the plot of this movie. Right. Oh, no, no, no. We are going to get to that. Just as, just as the two of you dragged me through this film, I am going to drag our audience through this film, kicking and screaming. <laughs> you said that this movie was probably made because somebody really wanted it to happen. And again, I keep going back to the auteur, Jonathan Arbitul, because it's the same story with, with my science project. And we covered that movie because it, it very prominently features a, a dinosaur. And so clearly the tool has a fixation with dinosaurs and he very much wanted to make this movie. This was obviously like a passion project. He wanted it to happen. He wanted, there's a lot of things that he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things that he got. But I do think like that's the that's the answer to who the target audience is. It's him. It's a movie he made for himself. It's that old thing they say, like write what you want or you know, make the movie you want to see. Like Jonathan Arbutul did it and we gotta admire him. I mean, that. that was that was the MS3K motto. Make the thing that makes us laugh and other people will find it. And it's yeah. it, MS3K is is one of my favorite things ever created. So So is this movie are we calling it a dinosaur movie? Or a robot movie? Because I think it's both. It's definitely both. It's both. Because okay. so so we learn that Teddy, I don't know why the movie is called Theodore Rex if he's called Teddy. Well, also, nobody ever, references, nobody ever references the book in the whole movie. And that makes me upset. What book? Isn't that, isn't that the, the biopic uh, about uh, Teddy Roosevelt? No. No? I'm an idiot. Why did I? I thought that was also a book. Anyway, so we learn that he is the PR person. He's the he's the liaison for the police department. Yes. And we see him wake up in his, in his apartment, which I, I've already pointed this out, but he looks in one of the first things that I noticed was he looks in the mirror and he says, stubble as usual. And I'm always going to take issue when the science of dinosaurs ignores things like they don't have facial hair. I, I could forgive this if these were like whales that lived in an apartment. I've already made that point, but uh, I do want to just specify, we don't know whether dinosaurs were more reptilian or avian, but yeah. we know that they weren't mammals. What if it was feathers? Could have been feathers. I would have been great with that if he had said that. feathers? Come on. If he had said something like that, or I'm molting, but no, he specifically referenced stubble. And so I'm just, I just got to take, I got to take the tool to task on that one. Then um, the other thing is he picks up his toothbrush. Uh, he, then he just tests his breath and throws his toothbrush away and says, like a summer breeze, I can forget this thing. There, then we see some of the insane technology in his apartment. Uh -huh. And I want to talk a lot about the technology in this movie because he has a cookie dispenser that not only gives him a cookie on demand, it like fires it at him like a pitching yeah. machine at, at a, <laughs> across the room. Who's baking these cookies? Who's loading this machine? Another smaller dinosaur that we don't see? So it's like the, a Flintstones thing? Yeah, the, this, the, this, the CG dinosaurs that were promised. <laughs> But I think great. maybe, you know, when you're a kid and you would go and they would have like those Otis Spunkmeyer cookies mm, or whatever, Otis the thing, you didn't question where they came from. They were just, they were there for you as needed. So that's, that was my take on them. It's just like, when you need them, they will be there. So you're saying this movie is just operating on kid logic. And if oh, yeah. you have questions about what's happening, you're, you, you're already left behind because the movie's moving on to the next scene, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't ask about the return policy from Acme, all right? You know? <laughs> I think that is the only way to get through this movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, so then we see another piece of uh, technology that this movie just is asking us to accept right on its yep. face, 
which is Katie Coltrane, who is a grid police officer. She's also referred to as a, a gun. She's referred to as Bioware. And that's about as much as we learn because the moment they start talking about it, and giving it any sort of backstory, it comes down to, oh, that must be classified information. It sure is. End of conversation. It sure is. <laughs> End of conversation. Never going to know anything else about that. Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, I guarantee, I guarantee that there is somewhere where like two to three pages written about the, the stuff that she was going to have to wear. And then uh, she was told to sit into a makeup chair and Whoopi said, Fuck that. I'm guessing Whoopi, yeah, there, there's probably a lot of like scenes or backstory or something that they oh, yeah. wanted Whoopi to deliver about this character that she was just like, mm-mm, nope. nope. And they just had to, nope. and they just had to go with it because she's Whoopi. Side yeah. note, Whoopi looked great in this movie. She looked yeah. amazing. She looked great. I don't think those like, were tight. Those yeah. She like, looked that, sad. Sad, sad. She did. No, she did. But I'm saying, like, she could have been in, like, she could have walked onto the set of The Matrix right after filming scenes in this movie, like, in that same outfit and everything. Yeah. Like, she looked like she, she looked like she was in command of every scene she was present in. Just when I wrote in my notes, Whoopi Goldberg, action star, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> she was an action star. She was an action star. An, an action star that was pissed that she was there. Yeah. But an action star yeah. nonetheless. Like that whole, the, the first scene where she was introduced, now she, she's attacking this van. Yeah, tell very, us about this scene. Again, very, very Tim Burton Batman-esque, I feel. Yes, y- the, with the, the, um, the zapper, zappies, the zappies. Yeah, the zappies. Zap heads. The, yeah. Zap heads. Zap head. Yeah, these Jawa-looking things with glowing eyes, and they're all on, like, motorcycles with neon wheels and stuff right well this is the she she slide this is her introduction she slides down and takes out the oh this the, is the truck this is when they're in the, the truck. truck yes yeah and which uh we're introduced to the character spinner which is played by the amazing burt cord or bud court sorry yes that's right bud court is like the main sort of goon in in uh, Dr. Kane's retinue. And yeah. he is known for, he played Harold in Harold and Maude. Yeah, also a lot of voiceover stuff. He's got a one of those very strange, expressive voices. Yeah, that is, um, I do want to come back to George Newbern when we get a chance, because I do want to say a lot, some things about his voice acting in this movie. I think he was given a tough job and I kind of looked at a lot of his other credits and stuff that he does. I want to give him some, some kudos for what he does, what he tries to give to this movie. <laughs> so yes, we're in this scene where, where Katie Coltrane, cool name, by the way, very cool movie cop, movie, movie RoboCop name. Katie Coltrane swings down on a zip line on top of this truck and her partner is also attacking the same truck. She, she reads these guys a very weird version of the Miranda rights that also kind of sounds like a speech from Judge Dredd. And she says, you've been observed. She says something about like, you've been observed committing a crime. And, <laughs> um, and then I wrote down laser gun sound effects, but I think I, it's very important for yeah. me to point out that I wrote laser, L-A-Z-E-R, because that's the fun spelling of laser. And these were fun lasers. <laughs> they are, they really are. Yeah, to his you. credit, to his credit, they are fun. And then the truck explodes and I wrote down, man, back in the 90s, we used to put stunt doubles very close to explosions. You see <laughs> this debris like landing on their backs, yeah. still flaming yeah. as the ashes fall onto their backs. 
And I'm... Great cutthroat island, you know? What'd you say? Very what? Cutthroat island. Yes. Which, where people, like, you could, there's scenes in the film where the actual actors are getting struck by debris quite heavily. Yes, this movie, Hook, a lot of mid-90s movies were really big on, on building sets just to blow them up. And, and just have those pe- the, pe- the flaming pieces of them land on some of the actors or their stunt doubles. And I, it's something that I, I kind of miss in films in general. And um, Yeah, it, like miniature explosions and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. And just even when, when something is very clearly a set, like, like in Hook, for example, when they're at the, the Lost Boys hideout and they're all, they just have all those, like, it's basically a big playground that they're all running around on. Nothing about that looks like, it, like a real place, but it, 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 I'm sold that these actors are running around this space because their feet are actually running on something. It's not, not green screened. It's not all like filled in later on. And so that's another point I want to give this movie is like, this. we've talked a bit about it, but the sets are really, really fun and really big. And the stunts and the effects are too. A lot of, uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot of love and craft did go into this movie, even though uh, one of the- um, For himself. Yes. But like, but like you said, like this guy attracts really good talent. Like we, he gets Bud Court and who plays a really, really fun character. I think Spinner is really, really fun. He's got a great voice. He has a really cool look. Um, that's another yeah. character I really wish I'd seen more of a sharper image of because he's got a cool right. design. Spinner kind of looks like he was built, like he was made in this movie as though they thought there were going to be action figures of the characters in this movie. Like they were going to sell action figures to kids. Um, yeah. that, that is a very much a 90s trope. I would have bought an action figure of Juliette Landau's character for sure. <laughs> Can we talk about Drusilla in this movie? Because yes. I love Juliette Landau. I was so excited when she showed up. <laughs> Alyssa, tell, tell us about, tell us about Dr. <laughs> Veronica Shade. I mean, the name says it all. You know she's dressed in red at all times, just by the name. Because the quality was so bad, it took me a really long time to recognize who she was. I knew the voice and I knew that I loved her but it was literally like two thirds through the movie. And I was like, it's Drusilla. And then I was very, very happy. She's, you know, she's the sultry evil that you like to see. And uh, yeah, it's, you You can see where she's going to be Drusilla in, in the future. But I kind of liked this character better. <laughs> I like this character a lot. For the people who uh, may not be Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans, which if you're not, please, I urge you to check out Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The original... 90s contemporary of this movie uh 90s series yeah. <laughs> so the actress juliet landau who plays dr veronica shade in this movie theodore rex also plays an incredibly a very very different character she's she's a very good character actor and so this character is very much the saturday morning cartoon villain if she had a mustache she'd be twirling it in every scene um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the female villain in uh, The Planeteers, Captain Planet. Yes, uh, not Loot and Plunder. <laughs> no, oh, she was the, she tested on animals. She was bad. Yeah. What I wrote in my notes was, uh, Drusilla is an evil scientist lady, exclamation point, here for it, exclamation point, exclamation point. 
She is. And she is. I, I, what was her motivation to be evil? Was it just that? Well, let's talk about the main villain. Let's talk about the, the main villain, because I think that'll give us more of an entry point to talk about some of his goons that we, a little bit more with some context. So we've, we've been talking about Juliet Landau, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Veronica Shade. We've been talking about Spinner and Edge. So they all work for Elazar Kane who the opening narration tells us is about to, at midnight tomorrow, uh, so the movie also gives us a timeline. We've got a ticking clock from from the opening credits. We'll launch his new Eden missile. Okay, in your words, Alyssa and Jake, in your words, what is billionaire Elazar Kane's end goal? So to start a new Ice Age, like wipe out, basically he wants a clean slate. Basically, he's... Kinda over Thanos, Thanos, Thanosing Thanos, where he wants to wipe everything out and start anew. Or mm-hmm. if you've seen, if you've ever watched the show Fringe, that's what uh, Bell wants to do in Fringe: is start clean, and so he all of his clones will be what populates the world. But after a uh, Ice Age, another Ice Age. But what does that look like? So does he have? Two of literally every species? Does he have two of just the species that he wants to survive the Ice Age? My, my guess is that he has uh, genetic samples of all species. If he's been bringing back whales and raccoons, he probably has uh, at least one of everything that he can then recreate. Okay, so let's say, let's say you were Dr. Dr. Elazar Kane, and you had... Mm-hmm this machine, this missile, and you, you had uh, collected all the DNA of everything. Would you, for example, would you bring back ticks or mosquitoes after your ice age? They, they are important to the biosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you eliminate that food source, then that could affect the food chain. So fair, really fair. the only thing that negatively, really truly negatively affects a food chain uh, doesn't, is if you take out the apex predator then everything else is going to be okay, in my opinion. Well, but this movie has two apex predators coexisting. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, the T-Rex but, and, reformed. Course, and the human. What? Re- reformed uh, carnivore. So, which I, I really like how yeah. they, they drew a parallel, I feel like, with addiction. Like when drug addicts try to reform, they get addicted to cigarettes. So he has to give up meat and he's addicted to cookies. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. There actually was some thought put into that. Yeah. See, I knew we would find find good things about this movie, you guys. Again, 90s 90s children's stuff had a lot of deep, like, addiction stuff. Think about Monterey Jack. Yeah. Think about... A lot of uh, uh, very special episodes. Yep. The the Cookie Crisp Dog Mm -hmm. was, you know, uh, Tricks the Rabbit. Like, someone actually thought about... If a T-Rex had to give up eating meat, what would he replace it with? And obviously it's cookies. Yeah. And he does, does have uh, a problem. He does have a problem. Does, does Zootopia even go into that detail? Does Zootopia show us what the carnivores eat instead of meat? What their they know, I don't think they do. I don't think they ever really show us. They just say they don't. Ooh, they catch don't up, Zootopia. A, they, <laughs> they don't treat it as an addiction, where I feel like in this movie, when you say I'm a reformed carnivore, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, this was my, my problem. So We're making this movie sound so good. 
Well, that's that's. I want to dig. I want to take this one step further. Are is is Teddy the only T Rex that we see that is a reformed carnivore, or or is Molly also a reformed one? Was the I know that they named him, but the other T Rex that gets killed, one of the two New Eden um, workers. Yeah, the workers. Well, Molly doesn't eat his dog, so yeah, that's okay. good. And by the way, Theodore Rex has a dog as a pet. He yeah. does. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I also, by the detail. way, Theodore Rex wears custom-made dinosaur feet Chuck Taylors. It's true. Which would yes. imply that Chuck Taylor evolved with the times and started making dinosaur feet Chuck Taylors. But and, also, he keeps them in a drawer, and that's really weird. So, And he also has a shower in his apartment that doesn't fit his whole body, even though everything else in the apartment is designed. Everything else has. Yeah, just the one, one, one design flaw of the apartment. His car. His car even has design. Yeah. To have a tail container, but not a, not a shower. It's not a shower. Because when you're in the car, apparently that's the only place where tail humor is not allowed. Ooh. <laughs> I would say about half of my notes are just tail humor. Ha ha ha. Exclamation point. More they, tail humor. They're, okay, so there's a trend, I think, in a lot of episodes <laughs> of this podcast where I will start writing down something that I notice when I'm watching the film, and I will just stop at some point because I'm like, I, I'm not even watching the movie. I'm like, just writing, writing, writing. And yeah, I was trying to track, like, every time we see a tail, tail gag. If I just cataloged all the ones from the fancy ball that Ted goes to, Teddy, Ted... Mm-hmm. Theodore goes to uh, when he's trying to get the attention of the commissioner and he's trying to impress him. Just that scene, there's so we see him slap a woman on the butt and then she turns around and she thinks it's the guy that she's with. So she throws a drink in his face. Oh my word. So we see that classic gag. We see him trying to eat a whole plate of cookies and the butler is very rude to him about them and says one per customer, which by the way, I didn't realize that the people at this ball were customers, but might've been just a turn of phrase. But then, then we see him use his tail to tap him on the shoulder and get him get his attention, right? Yeah. So he's looking the wrong way. And and clearly, he, he has control of his tail. When he's when he's looking the wrong way, what does he do? What does Teddy do? What does he do when he gets when the waiter's not looking? He, what, what does he, he do, guys? He, gets, he, he takes all he the cookies. All the coo- he gets all the cookies. He just eats all of them. You guys. <laughs> That's a problem. That's wrong. Okay. But I think that that is actually, to me, what I came to at the very end was that this was the most realistic part of the movie. If you brought dinosaurs back, their tails would be a huge problem. It would. And in the end, very redeeming. Like, he does redeem himself with his tail. But it would be, in the modern world, a big problem. It would. It would. And you know what's actually a really nice detail in this? Later on, after his car gets gets stripped by the, the zap zap heads, he goes back to the precinct and to report it and to, and to say he needs another, I think he calls it dinosaur-friendly car, and they have another one. So, like, this, the, clearly this world has made accommodations for both dinosaurs and humans to live together, work together. And that's kind of a nice little detail that they like have and special t- vehicles to accommodate their tail. So, okay, so let's, let's try to get back to the plot. <laughs> okay, so we're at the fancy I mean, ball. The fancy ball. Uh-huh. But, but we didn't cover that. Okay, so he, he, he was working as the PR person for the police department or the liaison, the media liaison. But he yes. has a dream. To be a detective. He has a dream to be a detective. Because yeah. you have to have a dream. Yeah. Right, and he has a vision board. He's and got a poster in his apartment that says Dino Detective. 
Yeah. So that's his dream. That's what he wants to do. The, the dinosaur in the beginning who has the thing fall on his, the butterfly fall on his face and it explodes. Thank you. Thankfully, they do not show us the graphicness of that because mm. that would be trauma movie, not, not this movie. That happens. And so it's the first dinocide, which he's very clear on saying that it's a dinocide and a homicide. Don't get your tails twisted. Dinocide. Yeah, we, we, can, we can either unpack this a little bit later or never at all because maybe we're not qualified to and neither is this movie. But uh, nope. is, is this movie about race, you guys? A little tiny bit, maybe? Coded? It's maybe? definitely about discrimination. People actually are accused of being speciesist in this movie. Yes. Actually, Whoopi Goldberg's character, when she first meets Theodore, she her reaction is... He's a dinosaur. She says yeah. that four times. <laughs> four times. Those are her next four no, lines. And no, I asked- no, It seems like much more to me. I actually wrote down, how many times does she say that? My question is, at what point was that no longer Katie Coltrane as, uh, saying that, those words, and it was just Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> point? The first time. The first time. It was the first time. That was Whoopi Goldberg going, he's a dinosaur. I'm a My, robot. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Is she a robot? I think she is a robot. In she, my she head, is mentioned, or she a cyborg? I don't know. Let's yeah. We're, I want to come back to that question of whether she's a robot or a cyborg. But I feel like this moment is probably. It feels to me like this was the first day of filming. They had given Whoopi Goldberg a script. Who knows what was in it? And when she got to set, this was her reaction to what was going on around her <laughs> because. I, 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 I just, it seems like from everything I've read, she was very much tricked into, into doing this. So I'm just and imagining just, standing there. In a dinosaur costume, just waddled up to her. Yeah, I just, she I just. to react. <laughs> I, I just want a transcript of every call to her agent during the course of this film. I would, I would read, read that. I would read a whole entire book about the production of this. <laughs> right. I wish that it existed. Uh, I wish somebody would write it. Okay. Uh, you, okay. So you, you talked about how Teddy is like this PR person for the police department. And it's also something that he's very, he's very aware of that. He's very aware that he's being used and exploited and he knows the reason behind it. He's not really a sucker in the sense that he's being taken advantage of for sure, but he knows that he is. And he knows, and, and in his mind, it seems like I just have to put up with this until it pays off for me. There's no, yeah, like, but, but, he doesn't seem to be deluded, right? Into thinking, like, I'm not actually good enough. He knows but, he's a dino token hire. Yes, he does know that. But he also knows, he also does have the confidence that he's good and just needs the chance to prove yeah. his worth. Which I think is an important Despite distinction. his addiction to cookies and tail of humor. But also I feel like he's he's very canny in his use of his position because at the fancy dress party, he sort of corners his superior into making him a detective by saying it in front of his creator that he really wants this. So he sort of, he, he knows how to, to work the system a little, you know? 
He does. Teddy is, I liked Teddy as a character more and more and more as the movie went on. He starts off as he's kind of just narrating to himself everything that he's doing, treating himself as a third person character a lot. At first I was like, this is a very common kids movie thing. You have this very silly character. So he's got to explain a lot of things about himself to the audience or or he just has to make commentary on it because that's just the kind of humor that like is in kids movies. And and I just want to say, like, I think George Newbern, the voice actor, did a very, very good job of filling in a lot of empty space because this puppet has, it looks great when it moves around. It looks great when its mouth is moving and it's talking, but it is limited in its articulation. So he's really good at, uh, the voice actor is very, very good at filling in a lot of space with just commentary, just things that would he would just say off the cuff and just conversational offhand things that he says to people that really endear him to the people around him. And I would argue to the audience as well, me, me in particular. I don't know if you felt the same way. He's kind of unbearably wholesome. Yeah, yeah unbearably yeah. wholesome. That's a good way to, to put it. Well, also, I think the, also he does a lot of humming and like singing to himself while he's walking. Yeah. I think that was to cover up the sound of the person inside the suit going, <laughs> kill me. Gosh, how much do you think that suit weighed? Oh my God. Like, especially the, because I've seen like the, 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 like the new really cool Velociraptor suits and stuff like that, that they have, that they've made for like the park work and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but this early 90s, like the early 90s, I don't know. I, oof. I don't know why I'm so naive that I just pictured the actor inside of the suit. <laughs> Like, I really believe that he committed so much that he wore that suit for every scene. He really committed. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Listen, we all can't be Vin Diesel, okay? We all can't be Vin Diesel and wear stilts to be grouped. Some, some, some people have to hire James Gunn's brother. Uh, I'm yeah. glad that I still have that sweet innocence about myself, though. I do, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Oh, in there. So how is it that, remind me and remind the audience, how is it that Katie Coltrane ends up being partnered with Theodore Rex? If I remember correctly, it is, isn't she the best or is she, right? She, when we first see her, she does stop this truck and she, she recovers the body that they were trying to transport, but she doesn't capture the people, the, the body thieves. So her, her captain is like yelling at her and, and Wait, uh, pu- was that the other worker? Oh, maybe. I don't know. But her that was the other worker. It mu- yeah, it must be. It must be. Yeah, there we go. We solved another mystery in this movie. So <laughs> I have a feeling like she's on, she didn't, since she didn't pull in the collar, as they say in cop movies, uh, she didn't snag that collar, uh, <laughs> bring him down to the station. Her chief was mad at her. So I guess I, what I got was in order to punish her, he stuck her with this bad assignment, which is, you know, that they're, they're pulling one over on, or they think they're pulling one over on Theodore Rex by putting him into this impossible to solve. There's a word for this kind of thing. Like it's like a, a goose chase, basically. Yeah. Um, Dog and pony. It's dog and pony show. That's a, yeah, that's perfect. So the first place that they go is the extinct species club. Right. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Which is where we see a, we see, we get to learn a lot about the world yep. of Theodore Rex. We get to learn in the extinct species club that, <laughs> that people are referred to as soft skins, 
which is that hmm, a slur? I don't know. But here's the thing: they refer to they refer to Katie as a soft skin repeatedly, and she accepts that term. But she's really not a soft skin, is she? If she's a robot, she's literally she's a metal skin, or she doesn't is have she skin. A robot? Synthetic skin. This might be a good time to break. Okay, Katie Coltrane. And listeners, I I know that you have your own personal opinion about this, so I want you to write in to the show or or post about this on our Discord. But tell us, is Katie Coltrane a robot, android, cyborg, some combination of the above? What is Katie Coltrane? How do we classify this robot? I I think she is a cyborg. I think, because like there's... Later references to her, like, being in a war or something? Is there? Yeah, like, it's somehow mentioned when she's first introduced with the kid and, like, how there's memories she doesn't have. There's, like, again, there's clearly, like, something that they wanted to do with Kitty Coltrane. And they they kind of gave her a sort of love interest because there was the kid in the (laughs) beginning who really wants to hook her up with his dad. We never right. meet the dad. Never meet. That's right. Yeah. The kid runs the noodle shop, which is basically a complete ripoff of... Um, Blade Runner? Blade Runner. Of Blade Runner. Yeah. It is a complete Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. And apparently in this world, there are no child labor laws whatsoever. No. They Definitely do bad, try bad, to bad, give bad. her like a personal life and like people to care about. Yeah. doesn't work very well, but they really try. But yeah, so I, I, I really feel like... I wish there was more Katie Coltrane backstory, but my theory is is that she is like an like an and like a like a cyborg, like was human and has been upgraded. That's my theory. <sighs> Cannot believe I have to add Blade Runner to the list of spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe it will help us figure out what she is if we talk about what are the Zap heads because I, that's a little bit underexplained as well. I think the Zap heads are like bad clones. They're I like clone so, of clone clones, you know? The bad, the bad batch. Here's another one to add to your list. Multiplicity. They're multiplicity. Gosh. Yeah, they're multiplicity clones. They're multiplicity right, people. It's like the copy of the copy of the copy. Yeah. yeah and they, they even reference that. They even say like the DNA degrades or some shit like that, right. you know? The original yes. wasn't so great. Yeah, the copy of a copy of a copy thing. Copy. So yeah, the, this world has cloned animals, cloned people. Rob- mm-hmm. Robocops, literal Robocops, dinosaurs. And then, yeah, these these glowing-eyed, Jawa-looking, like, putty fr- putties from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, goons, zap heads. So, so I agree. I think that's, that's the explanation for what they are. They're, they're sort of the less successful results of cloning experiments that this Dr. Elazar Kane, I don't even even know if he's a doctor, billionaire, billionaire Elazar Kane is how they describe him, uh, is doing these unethical experiments. Do you think it's possible Katie Coltrane is a clone that when they resurrected her in order to keep her cloned body alive, they had to add robot synthetic parts and that's why she has some memories so what you're saying is that the clone, the 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 zap heads are, is Boost Mobile, <laughs> like a BlackBerry, and that Katie Coltrane is like an iPhone. Well, because if we're going with the idea that she was in a war or something, or she has these memories yeah, of the yeah. past war, like I'm imagining it's like a like a live die repeat thing, like okay. where. But also, you know, who was the war with? 
Dinosaurs? Matter. 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 Mutant. It, it could be anything on this list. Elephants, lions, whales, raccoons. Right? I'm okay. guessing raccoons. <laughs> so, all right. I th- I, yeah, I think it could go either way. Katie Coltrane might have been completely built in a factory. She might be a soldier who died and was turned into a cyborg, a la General Grievous, a la Anakin Skywalker. Or a la uh, Universal Soldier. Yes. Okay. Thank you for saying that because that is the next place I was going to go with it is she could be a zombie cyborg, just like the GRs in yeah. Universal Soldier. So this could be part of the pantheon of universe there are seven movies in that series this could be the eighth one so <laughs> rocky seven adrian's revenge so so um katie never corrects anybody when they call her a soft skin i think we're what we're gonna put a pin in is she does have soft skin she does have some synthetic skin that is over a metal skeleton and metal parts because she gets shot and there's no blood. There's just that force lightning matting effect, the blue lightning. And they do mention her. that she's somehow like connected to the mainframe. Yeah. Yeah. She's somehow she get that's how, technologically yeah. connected to a lot of information, which never seems to help yeah. her in any way. And also, there, once again, yeah. like so many movies that talk about the future, nobody get gets smartphones. Well, there is a moment or two where Katie downloads. There's something. like no smartphones. Mm-hmm. There's no like which the I matrix. always find really interesting. Is especially 90s, 80s sci-fi movies. Nobody ever brings up smartphones or anything like that. You know, the people are still like in Blade Runner. He uses a payphone. You know what I mean? But wait, did we skip the morgue scene? Because I have a very important question about when they go to the morgue and see the dead dinosaur. No, we're, oh. we haven't got there yet. Okay. Okay. Is is the morgue scene before the extinct species club? I think it might be. Okay, so let's talk about the morgue scene because that's they've they've gone to the crime scene. And then they go to the morgue to look at the dead dinosaur body. And then also when we get more information about the, the whole uh, psychic connection. Yes. When we meet Molly Rex, who has the same last name as Theodore Rex, I don't, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if the movie I cares. I hope it's not related to yeah, Theodore Rex. I hope not. And I don't think that they are, but I just, it's like, what I was trying to look for in the movie was if there were other instances of T-Rexes and did did they all have the same last name? Is it like, I just want to know what their naming convention is because it could be. Well, also there's clearly a a Jewish dinosaur at the club. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing. Okay. A a couple of interesting things happened in this club. So man, that, that. That one dinosaur that like sort of leads them in and is telling them about the different kinds of water that they have and the different like kale and vegetarian dishes that they have. And then beyond that, the whole entire scene just sort of seems to be like a showcase of all of the different costumes and props and and the set that they got. Because the level of storytelling and gags and jokes in this scene is literally like for for example Whoopi Goldberg is at a bar something some kind of dinosaur next to her burps at her in her face that's the whole entire joke yeah yep burps are funny Lou yeah they know they are they are except on podcasts not as funny as later things burps on podcasts never funny uh, but then there is this kind of great gag that keeps coming up where this protoceratops is like sitting at a different table and it just keeps eyeing Coltrane and flirting with her from across the room. And she's just like, I got to get out of that thing's line of sight. What is going on with that thing? And she's just, it's another <laughs> moment where she's just commenting. She, it seems to be Whoopi Goldberg commenting on what's happening in the movie more so than the, yeah. the character. <laughs> yeah. 
she's drinking something, and I have suspicion it's definitely alcoholic. But I also really like the idea that there are some recreated dinosaurs that are like, hey, who's that? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that there's interspecies relations in this world? I don't know, but one thing I'm really glad that this movie didn't do was was hook up Teddy and Katie because that would have been yeah. way too obvious and I think too hackneyed. And listen, you never want to date your partner either. Yeah, That's- yeah. But yeah. they found a much better love interest for him. It's- yes, who was? Who can was? We, can we blow the top off it now? Who wants to say it? It was Carol Kane. Carol Kane, why? Why Carol Kane? Were they gonna sue you too? Look, the one, the one when I when I was going into this movie, the two things I knew about it were Whoopi Goldberg is in this movie and Carol Kane shows up at some point, and I didn't I didn't want to know more. I just wanted to be surprised by Carol Kane's appearance, and in a way I was because. Her voice appeared, <laughs> and she eats some flowers that Teddy gives her. But <laughs> it's endearing, I but, thought. But there's a whole dance number. Also, so many of this because it's also very. It's a very short runtime. This movie mm-hmm. feels like an eternity, but it has a very short runtime. So, so many of the scenes are so protracted that you're like, "Why is this going on for so long?" And it's like, "Oh, because you didn't film anything." <laughs> So set the stage. Also, Tell, yeah. There's there's so much about the scenes in the club and when they're flirting that brought up to me, like, if you are a dinosaur that has been genetically brought back, mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. sexy to you about another dinosaur? Like, she's okay. wearing human okay. clothes. She's in a club with other dinosaurs. What is sexy about a dinosaur? We don't know. This is interesting. This is interesting for two reasons. One, it's part of the world building of Theodore Rex, where we have these two apex predators living together, these two entire ecosystems that shouldn't coexist, coexisting, and they have culture that they're sharing with one another, learning from one another, and that culture, the cultural norms are rubbing off on on each other. And so I think it's a very good question of, is this sort of, is this a manufactured thing? Because they've grown up in this human world. They've always lived in this human world because uh, Teddy actually knows exactly what building he was cloned in. And it's, it's like something he was proud of. At one point he's driving by the building where he was cloned and he points it out to to Katie, like, he's proud of this. The way that, you know, if you were driving by the hospital you were born in, you might mention that, like, oh, that's the hospital. He and Molly and all the other dinosaurs have grown up in this human world, right? So they've been marketed human beauty products. They've been, they've been shown human films about the experience of love and romance and things like that. So is this their natural form of flirting or mating with each other? And it's just translated in this way? Or have they learned these behaviors from their world that they interact in? It's kind of, in a way, kind of going into your uh, Hammond theory when it comes to Jurassic Park, where Mm -hmm. this is not what dinosaurs actually are. This is the way Hammond pictures dinosaur. So that's why dinosaurs are that way. Yeah. Consider this. This is a point that I like to bring up about Jurassic Park that I don't think a lot of people think about. If they were cloning, well, it's really more about Jurassic World because by the time we get to Jurassic World, they were were, were cloning dinosaurs that they knew could mate with each other. They were no longer going for the all-female strategy of the first movie. So if you consider that every dinosaur that you clone is literally a dinosaur that had a life that it lived in its time when it was alive. It might have had 
a spouse, a family. And now, okay, let's say you, you clone these two dinosaurs that were a mating pair and you put them into separate pens with other dinosaurs of the same species. Are there going to be like intercouple conflicts? Is there going to be a drama? Because we just, you know, we matched up these, these people with memories of different spouses or different mating pairs. And now they're in now- completely different pens. Now we're getting into the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Six Days territory. Yeah. But also, if you clone dinosaurs and let them out into the world, are you cloning them in a way that lets them reproduce or do you control that? I don't think these dinosaurs reproduce because they, when they die, they get broken down. Their essence gets pumped into flowers. And then Teddy says that everybody at the funeral gets to take home flowers and then they probably eat them because that's what Molly Rex did with her flowers. But also so, they have a, their whole ritual around death, which is totally different from what the soft skins do, which mm-hmm. I guess they make themselves. Or, or twist, this whole dinosaur culture existed before human beings existed, before mm-hmm. the extinction of dinosaurs. This is what existed. But because it was so long ago, we don't know that that existed. That makes sense? It does. Can I ask you a question? Do you think in in the timeline that this movie exists in, they actually knew something that we don't know, which is that humans and dinosaurs did coexist previously in the timeline, and that's what they've resurrected? A la Flintstones. A la Hmm. Flintstones, yes. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. One one thing that I think supports this is the technology we were talking about, right? Like, so, like, the cookie machine, I can imagine a, a cutaway or, like, one of those shots in the Flintstones where they, they show you, like, the bird or whatever turtle is, like, on a treadmill operating it. And what do they always say? It's a living. <laughs> <laughs> so I was imagining that, like, like, for example, there's a scene where... I got to ask you guys, why was the parade of costumes and accents <laughs> happening? What was that technology? <laughs> yeah. What was going on to this? And can, you, can one of you guys, uh, Jake or Alyssa or both of you, can you try to explain to our listeners this machine that Theodore Rex was in that was giving him new outfits and also new accents? <laughs> I like to call it the racist machine. Okay. So Theodore Rex is going to go undercover, except actually they never actually do go undercover, ever. So he has to get a different outfit and he goes into a room with, I don't remember the character's name, but clearly of German descent, decided to continually put in (laughs) costumes that is negative cultural appropriation. Yeah. Somehow the outfits came with accents. I don't know how that works. What, when you're a Tyrannosaurus Rex, what does undercover mean exactly? Apparently dreadlocks and a Jamaican accent. Yeah. Or yeah. a sombrero and a Mexican accent. Yeah, apparently that's what undercover is. And no, then, one, no one will notice the tail right. if you are wearing a sombrero. And, all, and, and, and also they were going to go undercover together and Whoopi Goldberg's character decided to just not do that. Or rather, Whoopi Goldberg decided, I'm not going to do that. But eventually they did give him a completely new outfit. Yeah, a completely new outfit. Which actually really fit his character. It did. He looked like a well-to-do cop. It did. realized that there was something about that system that was valuable and 
could find your true self. I liked that outfit that they ended up putting him in. That's definitely like the outfit that if you bought an action figure of Theodore Rex, that's the outfit yeah. he'd come in. It's his outfit. Yeah, for but he would movie. come with the jacket from the first when he woke up. He looked oh, really totally. Cool. Totally. No, he looks cool. He looks cool. They managed to make a costume for this incredible looking puppet that is what a cop dinosaur would wear. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't, if you gave me a year to come up with a costume for a dinosaur cop, I wouldn't be able to do better than what they did in this movie. It's, (laughs) it just immediately speaks this visual language. However, it's not very good at making him undercover in any way because the first thing that happens after this scene is is Whoopi takes him to her friend that we saw earlier and it's a group of kids and they're excited to see him and they because he's a dinosaur they're just like oh cool it's a dinosaur and he's like oh nice rollerblades everybody um which one thing I do want to point about this scene is when they first show up and they're driving there is a endless hellscape view that this is in a dump that goes on for eternity so it's, but it's where the kids play. But hockey. it's where the kids play yeah. hockey. So, but it's it is it goes on forever. Like you, you can't see anything else but piles of garbage. So, like, are we? Are we is is this like a Mega City One scenario? What's uh, what's going on here? The first redemption arc of his tale, which is that it's really good at playing hockey. It's true. So yes. the whole the whole time up until this point. His tail is just a liability. It's just all tail humor all the time. Knocks things over. It's always in the way. But all of a sudden, really good at playing hockey. Yeah, he, he like Bugs Bunny, he makes three goals all at once with a single slap shot. Right? This is like Bugs Bunny throwing a one pitch and striking out three batters in a row. <laughs> and all the kids are like, what? Oh, goodness. Uh- <laughs> Which also, I believe, would be cheating if you're actually playing hockey. I think so. I think only one of those would have counted if, if any of them, but it's still very impressive. And um, it, it wins him over favor with these kids. Later on, we see one of the most, this movie has so many things that are the most 90s thing you'll ever see, but it also has a scene where a kid gets baited into going into an alleyway because there's just a random arcade machine. And then when he gets too close to it, a dinosaur that's hiding inside of the arcade machine pops out and grabs him. I challenge you both to just to say a more 90 sentence than what I just said. Uh, Paul Rudd playing Nintendo with the genie. That's pretty good. Yeah. Alyssa? I mean, I can't because that happened to me in the 90s all the time. <laughs> You're just hanging out, playing street hockey with your friends and your dinosaur friends. Also, and I was like, hey, what's that game? And then I went and it was just like, oh, again? Really? Th- no, there's, like, really? There's one thing that really bugged me about that scene in the very beginning. He's coming down like a spiral on his rollerblades. Mm-hmm. And I automatically was like, well, how does he get back up? Good question. You're on rollerblades and it's a ramp. How are you going to? Anyway. <laughs> um, there were no consequences in the 90s. That's the whole point of the 90s. Yeah. Also, I, yeah. Also, also, even 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 in Back to the Future, when they go to the future and there's an arcade game, they're like, "That's lame." So why yeah. is this? If he would have said, "Oh, a retro game" or something like that, that's a good a reminder, Jake. That's a good reminder. I did forget that this movie takes place once upon a time in the future. I once upon a time forgot about future. that detail. Sorry. Yeah. So but I think we're very prescient in knowing that in the future. 
kids of that age would be super into retro stuff and be like, oh my God, it is a vintage arcade machine. I'm going to play this game. They'd be yeah. super into it. Yeah. Roll their braids. Sweet. Yeah, man. And then... <laughs> <laughs> And then we, uh, like, we sort of, I lost track of the kid after that point, honestly. I saw, like, a few scenes when he was getting dragged around by goons or put into a prison with a monkey because every 90s kids movie had a monkey in it. They were trying trying to set up his father as Whoopi Goldberg's love interest, or at least that there was some relationship with this kid, which they did not set up at all. Did they even cast an actor to, to, like, appear on screen as his father at any point? I I, I doubt it. I don't think so either. He's, he's just alluded to in dialogue. Yeah. And then, yeah, he gets, he gets, he gets thrown into a cage with a monkey because again, every nineties kids movie had a monkey in it. And then I lost track of him. I'm assuming Teddy and Katie save him from the evil facility from new Eden. Yeah. I'm sure that he got out. Uh, We see him. Oh wait. I don't think we ever actually saw him again. We uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I think at the end. I think at the end. I mean, after I'll admit, uh, I'll admit, but at this point in the movie, pretty deep in the cups. Yeah, the movie gets to a point where Theodore accidentally uses his tail to save Molly from a, a cryogenic freezing chamber. It's fast and loose towards the end. But, they're also can interested. we talk about the toy maker scene? Can well, we talk before, about the weird? We we can because I think I think the begin the intro of this scene is what I really want to dig into. Alyssa, Jake, talk to me. Tell the audience about the guy from the bag. If you don't have notes about this guy, I've got some notes. <laughs> I would call it. I would call it a Sesame Street reject. Okay. <laughs> or 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 uh, uh, this. He lives on the street that is adjacent to Sesame Street. Okay. Like, you know, no, he, he, lives, he lives in Sesame Alley. Yeah, he lives I, I would with it, Oscar the Grouch, the, like on the same, the behind the same dumpster. The 90s, yeah, the period of the 90s where somehow people who made movies and cartoons were like, the stuff of your nightmares is what you want to see on TV, right? <laughs> it's a very Beetlejuice character. Yeah. Beetlejuice also somehow remind me of Buster Poindexter in yeah. uh, uh, Scrooged. Scrooged, yeah, somehow has that same quality to him, where he's like, meh, 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 you know, that really reminded me of that for some reason. We talk about Buster Poindexter a lot on this podcast. I love, I love that. <laughs> I love him, and I love that character. I. I'm not going to go into this now because I went into it a lot on previous episode, but I just want to pitch this to you and uh, to you, Jake and Alyssa. Buster Poindexter in the movie Scrooged is not actually Buster. There's no such person as Buster Poindexter. It's Benicio Del Toro, who is a time traveler. That's all I'm going to say. Draw your own yeah. conclusion. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. No, that makes sense. sense. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. But we, we completely skipped over the introduction of the fart jokes. Oh, well, oh, did we? Was that part of the guy in the bag or was that before? Yeah, when, when the, they were going up in the elevator, that was the first of the fart jokes. Okay, okay. I'm Where we moved on. We moved walk, on walk, from tell- Walk our audience through fart. this, the fart jokes in this movie. So we're in an elevator and there is a noise and Whoopi Goldberg's character says, was that you? And he denies it flatly, no. Which again, I think that actually the probably started as the guy in a suit actually farted. Like the camera was rolling, and Whoopi was like, "Was that you?" God. Uh. But also, there's an implication that dinosaur farts are 
worse than human or cyborg slash... I mean, I would argue vegan farts are the worst farts. I was going to say, so, not to get political or anything, but like I, I, a vegan diet has a lot of fiber in it, and maybe that's what they're, they're commenting on. <laughs> yeah. Which for me was not in character for for Teddy at this point. That he seems at this point a little more confident. He would Mm -hmm. have admitted to it, but no. And it comes up again later, right? Oh yes, it does. Oh yes, it does. So we meet the guy in the bag who is this weird. It's definitely a puppet. What's his job? He's the guy in the bag. He's like a gatekeeper. Okay. It's like yeah. We start to get into a little bit of Joseph Campbell. I feel here where you get (laughs) like. They're really trying. Go on, Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. Right. Yeah, talk, talk about that a little more, Alyssa. Tell our audience. You brought this up. <laughs> oh, you broke me. Oh. <laughs> and it really is. And strangely, you're right. Alyssa, so, yeah, we've, so, we've, gone, we've gone from the call to action, right? Which is when, when, when the, Teddy gets his assignment from the commissioner at the fancy ball. That was our call to action. And he, and he meets his guide. Who's his guide? His guide is obviously Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. All right, oh, what's, what comes next? <laughs> Campbell Schmamble. We gotta, we, gotta, uh, we gotta track this all the way through. The gatekeeper that he has to get through, yep. through like either wit or strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very labyrinth. Yep. Yeah, it's strength. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then they get to the toy maker, who I mentioned earlier is one of the one of the storm users in uh, Big Trouble Little China, who gets stabbed in the in the neck, which is a fun scene. So they start interrogating him. Uh, they use, do the good cop, bad cop, which instead of using a phone book or oranges in a sock, they use Teddy's farts. <laughs> and, um, which we've already, already, already established. Very bad. Very apparently. bad. And I'm so sorry. What, what part of the hero's journey is using your farts to be the bad cop in an interrogation? Uh, um... For our listeners, please. <laughs> um, that would be <laughs> man versus nature. <laughs> this is gonna be the first first podcast episode. Where I have to stop because I can't breathe anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, listeners, if you're still if you're still with us, I know that you're upset that we moved on so quickly from the guy in the bag. So I am gonna I am gonna jump back for one more last detail about him, which is when he's done being interrogated, it does seem that his job is to try to be surly to whoever comes and tries to see the toy maker so that he puts them off in a way that makes them just not want to deal with it, right? When he's not successful and they introduce themselves as cops, his reaction is, cops, I'm out of here. But then he just pops back into the the bag. If he's trying to hide from the cops, they saw where he went to go hide. It's not a good... All right. I'm, you know what? I'm being... I'm, 
I'm, I'm digging too deep into the guy in the bag. I, I just want to mention his last line. And if I can get one, maybe one of you guys give me a reading of it, which is one. <laughs> Please. I believe it is. Mass, uh, I quit. Wasn't it? Oh, yes. I forgot that. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Oh. Gold. <laughs> Different that line. Gold. Yes, but that that also, I mean, that brings me back to, I mean, that just makes me want to unpack more about what is his job? How much is he getting paid? Like, what's he going to do after he quits this job? Where else, who's going to hire? Is, the thing is, I think, I think he, I think he is a robot. Okay. No, he's, oh, he's not a robot. I think the guy in the bag is a robot. No, I think the guy in the bag is a botched clone. I think he's a botched clone. That's why he's like, he's, he's not regular human size. He didn't grow. I thought he was created by the toy maker. Was the bag also created? Maybe the bag was cloned. Maybe the bag was cloned from the leather, uh, DNA extracted from the leather of a previous bag. That's right. <laughs> and it had a guy in it, and he was cloned inside the bag, just like in the previous bag. He also might be a janitor, because when the place gets blown up, is like, <laughs> he pops out of the bag. What happens to- when you buy knockoff coach bags on Canal Street. Mm. Uh, he pops out of the bag to mug to the camera and say, hey, so he says this to no one. Hey, I ain't cleaning this up. And, and again, guarantee, yep. I guarantee there was a plan to make an action figure of the toy maker and the man in the bag was like the prop. Totally would have bought, bought that. I would I think so. I would buy this whole entire toy line. I wish that you could get these action figures. Uh, we get to, so we, eventually we get to, we find out that Teddy, as much of a reformed carnivore as, as he is, he likes to, he says, I binge once in a while. Mm. Yeah. And yet but he has a dog. He does have a, a dog. Well, he says that in response to when he's playing bad cop, one of the threats that he makes is he says, oh, I'm going to eat this guy. And... Then he says something about he wants to eat a zappy meal, which I thought was actually a pretty funny, clever quip because he's talking about like eating one of the zap heads. He says like, I'm hungry for a zappy meal. And then they go in there and they just like tear house in, in New Eden. But he does say when, when Katie challenges him on this and she's like, I thought you were a reformed carnivore. He says, I binge once in a while. What do you, so I don't think he's eating dogs. I don't think, he, I, don't, I, I don't think anybody's eating pet dogs at all. But does that mean that he eats zap heads occasionally? Does he eat bad guys instead of arresting them? Well, he's, he's recently become a cop. So, so actually, I think he probably, uh, probably uh, eats vagrants. He recently you know? became a cop, but he seems to do some vigilante work. Yeah, he eats vagrants, you know, homeless mm. people, you know, in this future society, so how- I think it's acceptable. See, the so thing how- is, yeah. I find it interesting that yeah. you believed him when he said that, because I didn't. I thought it was a total bluff. He does not binge, only cookies. I want to I hear more of your thoughts on this. So, so why would he lie to Katie about that? Is he trying to fit in? Is he trying to impress her? Yeah, I think he's trying to be like, hey, I'm bad cop, you're whatever, half robot, whatever, cyborg, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. I... I mm-hmm. I really do not believe, deep in my heart, that Theodore Rex eats meat anymore. Okay. What we do see from, <laughs> from these zap head goons is the same thing that we see in every 90s kids movie or action show where one of, the, one of them will always inevitably run up behind our hero and wrap their arms around them. And then they have mm-hmm. no plans after that yeah. point. They do no. not know what they're going to do with them. They just know they got to grab them from behind so that if another goon runs up, 
they can lift them up and let the mule kick the other goon because that yeah. happens yes. at least twice. Okay, so, so this is around also the time. As dime store fight choreography. I yeah. prefer to think of it as the, the power of thinking of power of a good hug. Like if you just mm. hug them well enough from behind, they'll be like, oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, you know what, these app heads, they don't seem to be able to talk. We don't get really a lot of their thoughts, their their inner, we don't see their hero's journey. We don't know what these app heads want. Um, maybe they're just being manipulated and exploited by billionaire Elazar Kane. Again, again, more like Power Rangers, kind of mm -hmm. like, they remind me like putties. Yeah, or, fodder. You know, yeah. I hope they don't vote. <laughs> Edge, Edge, however, Edge is a real threat. Edge is one of the goon, Edge is that goon. He's the mini boss in this movie. He's the one that yeah. actually shoots Katie. And this is where we see this force lightning shooting out of her, <laughs> the, the blue matte uh, lightning effect, which uh, we see this exact same effect. And we talk about it a lot on the episode um, where I review it in, in my science project. Again, by the same director, a lot of the same visual effects, and it's achieving the same visual language, which is machine shorting out. Machine going, it just got destroyed or shot or opened in some way. And now it's sparking and, and shutting down. How- But it's also the first yeah. time that we, there's any consequence to her being whatever she is, robot or cyborg or whatever. She's not- yes not smarter than other people. She's not stronger than other people, but she has this one vulnerability that we see this one time. And that's how we are supposed to identify, oh, she is whatever she is. Oh, bullets, my only weakness. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then they have this whole conversation where she says like, I'm offline and I'm down. I think you're on your own partner. And he's like, Som something about brains over bullets becomes this whole thing where, where up until now, Theodore has been resistant to use a gun. He doesn't think that he needs to use a gun. He's nonviolent. And which I did have a question about that. If, is, is the, if you have a Tyrannosaurus Rex as an officer, they're already a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Do they really need a gun? Let's say it was uh, one of those dinosaurs from Jurassic Park, the Dilophosaurus, that spits venom. Does it need a gun if it's already got like a projectile weapon that it spits out of its mouth? Okay. Um, do you think... <laughs> but, but he's a Tyrannosaurus Rex. He has tiny, tiny arms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So really, if he's doing like, up, like close personal combat, he's got his mouth, which he's apparently very like, loath to use. He, he has tiny arms. He's not going to get up close tiny arms to shoot a gun. Yet, as we've seen, his tail is immensely deadly. Mm-hmm. To hockey pucks. To <laughs> But he decides brains over bullets. Uh, he doesn't want to kill. He, he does not want to kill billionaire Elazar Kane. So bullets, not okay. Exploding cars uh, when they crash into a billboard and yeah, resulting in the, in the fiery death of Edge, totally fine, though. Apparently, totally, in totally the, fine. also in the future, billboards, explosive. Yes. I, I wanted to ask, why did Edge's car explode? Billboards are explosive in the future. That's my final answer. Okay. Just to make them more awesome, I guess. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to fight you on that. So. <laughs> also, the answer for every question you have for this movie was, which is, doesn't matter. What, what, once, once upon a time in the future. Doesn't matter. 
Yeah, so this is where we're like our our big, the whole entire end set piece just sort of comes to a head where all of the bad guys sort of get picked off one by one. I tracked most of them. We see Dr. Veronica Shade trying to get Teddy into the cryo-freezer next to Molly. He uses his tail to get one over on her and, and puts her in there. We see Ed blow up. I forget what happens to Spinner. How do how does Spinner exit the movie? I completely forget as well. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. And ultimately, what happens to Elazar Kane? Does he gets arrested? Does he just he just gets thrown in jail? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some kind of justice system. There is, but like for example, his underling, Doctor Doctor Veronica Shade, she got a very disturbing, horrific. And like where she was frozen. I mean, she deserved it because she was evil. But like, yeah. But we see this like it's a very it's a very disturbing depiction of what happens to her. Kane, it just seems like we don't get as much. I don't think we get as much viewer satisfaction out of his downfall. We just sort of see him get. He's stopped. His his evil plans are stopped. It is, I guess. Well, yeah. Bar- yeah. Hey, you gotta set up a sequel, Lou. That's true. That is true. And the se- a sequel is something we're going to talk about very soon when we get to my bonus questions. Do you have anything more that yeah. you want to do you have anything more that you want to say about the yes. end uh, about the ending of this movie or about the movie itself before we move on to Well, we we forgot to bring up the femme fatale trope with with uh Carol Kane. Okay. No, I think we did we did we cover that? Well, she she cuz turns out she was working for for Dr. Kane. Right, right. But even then, she was being used, and they yeah. tricked her in the end. So yeah. yeah, I do have one question, which mm-hmm. has been really weighing heavily on my mind yes. since I watched this movie. When they go to the morgue, they say that dinosaurs have unique tail prints. Okay, and they can identify dinosaurs by their tail prints. I don't think that's true. I would contend that that would make sense if there's going to be a part of the body that is unique to dinosaurs that, and of course not all dinosaurs have tails, but every dinosaur that does have a tail. No other predator has a skin print that's unique. It's always the, the spots or there's something different. I do not think that Tyrannosaurus rex have unique tail prints that you could identify them with, even if they were cloned in the future. I think you could do it with iguanas. I do think every dinosaur has a tail. I don't think there's any way to prove that they would have unique tail prints or any reason that they actually would have unique tail prints. It, uh, we could be entirely wrong about that. It could be a thing like fingerprints. This is a question I'm definitely going to send along to our uh, the show's resident dinosaur expert, yes, yes, Dr. Paleontologist Eliza Peterson. And um, she, I call her paleontologist, which I don't think this movie would call her because in the scene you're describing, Alyssa, uh, Dr. Armitrage, I wrote down this character's name, Dr. Armitrage is the one that Teddy Great is name. explaining the unique tail prints to. And she introduced herself as the head dinosaurologist. Right. What is a dinosaurologist? Yeah, we were interested in that as well because she's not a paleontologist because that would imply that they're extinct and you're mm. studying them. But it's kind of insulting to be a dinosaurologist if they are not extinct and you're a soft skin and a human. So okay. to me, that was an interesting like cultural thing. Like I study them. I would say it's a dinosaur proctologist. Okay. Because I, yeah, I got the sense that it was like a special type of doctor, like an optometrist or a, you know, veterinarian. Specializes like in cloaking. 
Like I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah I was like, she's not a paleontologist. Right. She is yeah. a yeah. And you know, it's one of those details that I, I pointed out because I don't think it's an oversight. I don't think it's something where, the, where Jonathan Betul was like, ah, I don't know what a paleontologist is. So we're going to call her dinosaurologist. <laughs> I don't think that at all. It's, he knows no, very right. well what a paleontologist is. And it's like, you're saying, Alyssa, I think you're absolutely right. There's a distinction between what a paleontologist does and what a dinosaurologist does. And this movie but thought about that. So- more sad that he really thought about this stuff he really put thought into it and like we said so much attention paid to like production design and costume they built a whole world and this movie i don't know if i can ever watch a movie again after this movie well (laughs) i scarred me but but people really put like care and thought into it but it was so bad. Yeah. So we we kind of jumped right into the discussion of the movie. We talked a little bit around these subjects, especially with robots. But since there are two of you, I want to get both of your individual definitions of both what is a robot and what is a dinosaur. And does this movie... We're going to count both of them in this movie. Um, this movie is going to get a, a vote from each of you a plus one, a neutral, or a minus one on robots, and the same plus one, minus one, or neutral for dinosaurs. Who wants to go first? Alyssa? Jake. Um, All right, Jake. So the so question me, let's, you can start with either one. What is a dinosaur or what is a robot? Okay. A dinosaur, to me, is a prehistoric, non-mammalian creature that is extinct. And the only way that we would interact with that non-mammalian creature, non-mammalian land creature, would be through super science. So far, time travel. So far, it sounds like uh, there are not dinosaurs in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Or cloning. Super science. Super science. Yes, but this this dinosaur is mammalian and not prehistoric. Wait, (laughs) how is it mammalian? It has stubbles. Oh, he does. He's, he has stubble. He yeah. has stubble. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. Well, yeah, I mean, you know what? If that protoceratops gets it on with uh, Katie Coltrane, maybe we'd find out. Um, so I'm sorry. Did you, did, did you have more? So in for that sequel. Um, did you have more about your definition of, of dinosaurs? That, that's for me for dinosaurs. Alyssa, your definition okay, of dinosaurs? Alyssa, yeah, Alyssa, your definition of dinosaurs. Oh, are we separating it out by dinosaurs versus robots? I, I, let's, okay. Yeah, let's approach it that way. Okay, so I think actually my definition of dinosaur, it would be a being that has the actual DNA of a dinosaur. So for me, when they found the, the like the silicanth, the, the weird fish off the, like that, that's a dinosaur. Yeah, it has the DNA of a dinosaur, so it is a living dinosaur. Okay, so for for a, robots. A, oh, one quick question for Alyssa: as a throwback to our Jaws episode, would you consider a prehistoric shark a dinosaur? Absolutely. Cool. Very cool. All right, so uh, Jake, your definition of a robot. For me, a robot is a non-biological entity that has thought. Okay. Okay, so it's important. So, in order to be a robot, it has to have some sort of awareness or thought process. Yeah, it has to be able to make its own decisions. Otherwise, otherwise, in my opinion, that's a machine. Okay. Okay. 
So is Dr. I, I want to call everybody in this movie Dr. So-and-so. Is Katie Coltrane a robot? Yes. Well, yeah. well, I think, yeah. she, I think she's a cyborg in this movie. I think she's a cyborg. I think okay. she's an upgraded human. Yeah, a cyborg. That's not a robot. But to me, a, a robot or a, a cyborg is a human that has non-biological parts added. But that's not a robot. I would argue that a that a robot is sort of like the big umbrella and cyborg is a category of robot. I might be mistaken about that. I might I, that's just my operating definition of it. So I kind of agree with the way you're you're breaking it down, Jake. But if you but Lissa, let's talk about your definition of a robot since you draw a very distinct line between a robot and a cyborg. I do. Because my definition of a robot is a machine that was built that has self-awareness of its own being and tasks. It's not a human that was, that had uh, technology added to it. That's not a robot, that's a cyborg. Okay, have you seen Universal Soldier? No. Okay. Are you gonna make okay. me watch that now? Uh, yes, they already, they already Yeah, <laughs> but, but, you, but no, you have to watch it anyway though, because you made me watch this. So. <laughs> um, no, but I, I just to say that by your definition, the, the, the unisols, as they're called in that movie, the zombie cyborgs are not robots. And I think that, I think that the, an argument could be made for that. Is it because, okay, let's say this. What if they built, oh, oh, here, perfect example, perfect example. Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Krang Here's is this robot bipedal form, right? It can walk around and do things on its own. But when Krang is inside of it, Krang is just this, this brain creature from Dimension X. And it goes inside of this robot body in like the middle of it, kind of like that uh, villain from Captain America. I forget his name, but uh, not Modoc. MODOK. Is it MODOK? It might be MODOK. Yeah. So when Krang is inside of it, is it then a cyborg because it's a brain inside of a machine? Is it a mech? because it's a fully living creature operating the whole entire robot suit with controls? Is that robot a robot when Krang's not inside of it? It's a mech when Krang's inside of it. What does it do when Krang's not inside of it? So he's able, it's able to sort of do things on its own. Like it can pick him up and put him inside. He can order it to go attack the turtles and whatnot. That is, no, it's only, it's only a robot when Krang is inside of it and it has a actual thinking being understanding what it's doing. Okay. I think we're going to have to revisit this conversation after we all watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles together. So <laughs> does this movie, I'll, I'll, um, Jake, we'll start with you. Both robots and dinosaurs. I want to get, get your plus one, minus one. How is the representation negative of robots and dinosaurs? dinosaurs? I think this puts dinosaurs in a negative light. Okay. And for robots, I'm also going to have to put a negative. Ooh. I don't makes robots does not portray robots in in a positive light because if you can be shot just like a normal human and be out of commission what's the point of being a robot fair she was shot several times and she didn't die she was able to get repaired and she was even able to even though she couldn't walk around still give really good advice to her partner before he had to go do yeah. something on his own but if you're looking at Coltrane versus like a Terminator, Terminator's gonna win because it. Oh, can... I don't. Okay, 
So I, I, I find that I'm a little bit guilty of trying to sway my guests sometimes. So I'm going to leave your answer at that. I accept your minus one for robots and dinosaurs. I'm going to move on to Alyssa, though. Alyssa, I want to get your thoughts and your votes. Um, I've always been pro-dinosaur. And honestly, after watching the movie, I was negative everything. But after talking about it with you, I'm definitely uh, plus one for dinosaur because he did take his tail, which was like a disability in his world, and use it to his advantage in hockey and destroying evil scientists and freeing his love. So definitely plus one for dinosaur. I don't think she was a robot. <laughs> and if she was, she was a really bad robot. So negative one for robot because she didn't use it at all. There was oh. no evidence that she actually used anything. So yeah, negative one for robot. Definitely plus one for dinosaur. Ouch. For those of you keeping score at home, that is a minus one from Jake for both robots and dinosaurs. From Alyssa, that's a minus one for robots, a plus one for dinosaurs. So this totally, add, in total, this adds up to a minus two for robots. The dinosaurs wash out. It's a minus one, plus one. So the dinosaurs end, out, end up neutral at the end of this movie. But robots took a hard hit from this movie. We got a minus two. I may not count one of those, though, because, because Alyssa <laughs> isn't counting Whoopi as a robot. Don't think she's a robot. Okay, and I want this, the, the, the listeners to be clear. I still love robots and I still love dinosaurs. I love them both. Oh yes, that's why I'm asking but that's why movie, I'm asking, does this movie help with with that your love or does it in any way diminish it, that love? Um, and I understand that your your pre your previous love for these things. Ken Burns got so okay. So man, that's that's a pretty rough score for this movie. Uh, uh, robots took a hit, but you know what? They were kind of pulling ahead in the total in the total pantheon of robots versus dinosaurs so this might give dinosaurs a chance to catch up once again we are going to move on to my final bonus questions the camera zooms in on me so we get out. some high proof alcohol we get gasoline anything that says what funny. makes our lives worth living is our mortality if there were not mortality we wouldn't be luckily for me most of the beauty pageants that i've um, participated in don't i've need. done my fair share of blood man. i've always liked showing myself off naked got up out of the seat walked to me and then slapped me spontaneous conversation with people from around the world on stranger than christian available on your favorite podcast app and at strangerthanchristian.com Alyssa, Jake, this is a section of the podcast that we call What's Your Snack? Alyssa, Jake, what's your snack? You know, we can't really go to the movies anymore. I miss going to the movies. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with popcorn. I love eating it, mm -hmm. but it just, it gets stuck in my teeth. It gets stuck. So then if I do end up eating popcorn, um, I, I start gagging a little bit during the movie i get like a kernel stuck so so then i just think about the whole movie so i try to avoid popcorn as much as possible even though i love it so my usual go-to is junior mints for, junior for a movie mints. snack did you eat some junior mints while you were watching theodore rex no 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 i drank a lot of beer <laughs> all right Alyssa, what's your snack is this while you're watching a movie snack or just general snack it's kind of both. I want to know what's what's the snack that you love when you go to the movie theater? And now that you're watching movies more at home, do you have that snack at home? Like, do you pop popcorn on your own if 
popcorn's your thing, if candy is your thing, do you make sure you go to Walgreens or whatever, Dwayne Reed, and like get some candy before the movie? Oh, okay. So um, in all instances, legal or not, my snack is Trader Joe's pretzels filled with peanut butter. Ooh. Hands down. Okay. Awesome. Final question about Theodore Rex. I always like to ask my listeners, and oh, great news, big update, huge update. I'm pretty sure I finally figured out where I stole this question from. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna steal, steal from the best, because I'm pretty sure it was, how did this get made? The podcast. I've been going back and listening to old episodes of it, and I'm pretty sure that they asked this question at some point, or that they just sort of off the cuff came up with this idea of recasting a movie with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny Vito, which makes me feel even less bad about borrowing it from from them, because uh, that is a group of comedians that I idolize, and if I stole it from them, I'm sorry, but it's more of an homage or a love letter than, than me trying to exploit anything, I promise. So... I'm still going to ask the question because it's a fun question until I get a cease and desist letter from Paul Shear himself, which I hope I do because then I'll frame it on my wall. So Alyssa, <laughs> Jake, uh, <laughs> if we were to replace any of the actors in this movie with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, how would you cast it? Would it improve the movie? Since Whoopi's already in this movie, I'm going to modify the question. You can recast her into a different role or you can keep her as is or she can play multiple roles. Who wants to start? Think about this. I'm going to keep Whoopi in the role she is, but also cast her in the flowers that Theodore X gives to Molly Rex that she eats. (laughs) Yeah, why why not? Everything else is anthropomorphized. Everything else is the same. Danny DeVito is definitely the dog. Oh, Theodore Rex's pet dog? Yes. Danny DeVito is definitely that dog. Outstanding. I would keep Whoopi the same. I think Whoopi is great. Or I would just have her... Not in this movie at all, like she originally wanted. Um, <laughs> I would, I would, I would grant her her wish. <laughs> As every scene showed, she did not want to be in this movie. So it's a movie. But Danny DeVito has to be the man in the bag. He yeah, has to be. That's inspired. The- but but like, but but not no puppet. We have to get a Danny DeVito size bag. Oh yes. And have Danny DeVito. <laughs> or we still a pretty small bag. Or I just imagine but- he's like under a table and they cut a hole in the bottom of it and we just see his head <laughs> pop out of the bag. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know what I love about that answer, though, about Whoopi Goldberg, is every single episode, when, when I ask my guests this, every single time, adding Whoopi to a movie improves the movie. And that is yeah. absolutely true for Theodore Rex. So I, I love that you proposed this idea that if we removed Whoopi Goldberg from this movie, it would definitely be to the movie's detriment, but it would improve Whoopi Goldberg's mental health. <laughs> <laughs> The movie would, would not be as good to watch because can you imagine if they got somebody in there that was like sincere? Oh <laughs> my god. Like yeah. would, but he's a dinosaur. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? Four times. Four times. Yeah. It does kind of re- require somebody to already be over it, and then they have to be yeah. won over to some degree by the end of the film. 
and have and have their own heroes. Like, like imagine, imagine because we've been watching. We just finished watching all of the '90s wonderful or uh, the early aughts uh, Alias. Can you imagine mm. like Jennifer Garner in this role? Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I I love I love Jennifer Garner. She's she's great. But she would take this weight. She would really put her heart and soul into this role. But he's yeah. a dinosaur. Yeah, I'm I'm because of like I'm thinking like '90s icons. I'm thinking like and also the connection to. <laughs> with Drusilla in this movie with Buffy the Vampire. So I'm thinking Eliza Dushku as the robot. Ooh, because right? she can act herself out of a wet paper bag. And oh, that'd be good. would have such like a, just an edge about the whole thing the whole time. Like this dinosaur, I got to partner up with this thing now. Like, I'm just, I would love to see that. My cast, my recasting of this movie, Ooh. I'm keep, I'm, I want to keep Whoopi Goldberg, but hear, hear me out. We're not going to make her show up to set get in this costume all the time. I'm recasting her as Theodore Rex and I'm casting Danny DeVito as Agent Officer okay. Katie Coltrane. Yeah. Oh, I would watch the hell out of that. I'd watch movie. the hell out of that, yeah. Every, and, like every Sunday, that would be my viewing, I think. Yeah. And I don't think I want, I want it to be like a remake of this movie. I think I want it to be a direct sequel to this movie with that casting. <laughs> yeah. All right. See, but has anything changed in the world in the sequel? Well, Alyssa, when I finish writing my screenplay, Theater Rex Two, you can read it and you can you can find out then. <laughs> See, I've always loved I've always loved the idea of taking Nolanizing movies like this from the nineties. Oh my god! So yeah, if so, if you like took this concept, right, this idea that dinosaurs have been cloned. They can speak English, have special cars for their tails. If you took this, and then now you had a, a retired grizzled dinosaur cap. With lots of stubble. Yeah, with lots of stubble. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who's got his pri- the private eye velociraptor? He got what he wanted, but it wasn't what he needed. Yeah. Or you, you have a totally different character that's a velociraptor private eye, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mickey V. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I, I really want to follow Theodore Rex. Oh, okay. And just see when he and Molly's marriage falls apart. <laughs> and she leaves him. She takes the dog. <laughs> and now he's just Ted. <laughs> <laughs> and he lives with Mark Wahlberg and works at a grocery store. Yeah, yeah there we go. Yep. Full circle. Love it. Well, Alyssa, Jake, I thank you so much for selecting this movie so that I could watch it for the first time. I'm so sorry. And appreciate it. No, don't apo- don't ever apologize because I love dinosaurs and I love robots. And this movie was full of both of them from my perspective. And I loved, I really did love the characters in this movie more than anything. I'm also becoming a big fan of Jonathan Arpatool and I want to start going back through all of his works. I do think we're going to cover Flight of the Navigator. Or not, uh, man, I messed that up last time too. We are going to cover uh, The Last Starfighter, probably on, on a future episode at some point. So we're going to be probably trying, I'm, I'm going to attempt to cover all of the filmography of Jonathan Arpatool. That's my new goal for this podcast. <laughs> Alyssa and Jake, do you have anything that you want to plug or do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up today? If you like uh, being scared and spoopy shit, I'm currently a, a performer at the Bayville Screen Park, uh, which will be open until November 6th on the weekends. And the on the weeks, uh, week prior to Halloween and the week of Halloween will be every night. So show up, let me make you poop your pants because I'm really good at it. All right, Alyssa. 
I have nothing to plug, but I do have to say that there was a scene in the movie when Theodore Rex lifted up two full-grown men with his tiny T-Rex arms, and that was not possible. That's all I have to say. Yeah, this this movie plays a lot. It plays very fast and loose with its dinosaurology. <laughs> like I said, I'm going to follow up with a couple of questions that we all had for our resident dinosaur expert. Hopefully she can get back to us soon with the, with those. And uh, when I do, I'll, I'll read them on a future episode. So, Jake, Alyssa, thank you so much again. This was really fun. I really did enjoy watching this movie. And, and having people to talk about it was really fun. So I uh, hope that, hopefully I can get you guys back on a future episode sometime. And thanks again. I already have my Excellent, excellent. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Hey, I ain't cleaning this up. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.